Harrison Price for Friday, December 1st, 2023. Coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. Embrace the energy of downtown Vancouver with a stay at the wall. Call 604-331. With that beautiful time of year, downtown Vancouver here. All the lights, Fountain Square, oh, right. Was, right across from St. Paul's. And I'm looking behind you. I'm like, it doesn't look that beautiful, but well, yes, the lights. you know what yes, I mean. Yes, yeah. City's nice and dressed for Christmas. Matt Sikaris alongside Blake Price, Grady Sassett and Switches, conducting things. The show, a presentation of Applewood Autumn. Applewood Nissan in Surrey has the bestseller, Nissan Rogue. Everything starts with the Rogue. Financing from 3.99%. Go see why it's a bestseller. Get behind the wheel, take one for a test drive, and then drive home in a fabulous new Rogue. Applewood Nissan in Surrey. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question today, does the Nikita Zadorov acquisition make the Canucks a contender? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter and YouTube. We're getting tons of voting on this poll today, tons of response as well. Look forward to rehashing it on uh, Mondays to the people, see where this winds up. And, of course, it happens in the context of a 4-1 loss to the Vegas Golden Knights where really the Vancouver Canucks are not in this game very long. No. Uh, first place showdown, and the champs served notice to this upstart plucky Canucks group. I think there are two big questions with Zadorov, who, by the way, is going to wear number 91 here with the Canucks. First question, number one, is he a second or a third pair defenseman? And number two, can he hold down that right side? which is the Canucks problem area, or is he just a left-shot defenseman who's going to masquerade on the right side? What says you, Blake well, Price? I'll say this. There's ample evidence, uh, even this season, of him playing the right side with the Calgary Flames. Now, here's the thing. Going rampant on social media yesterday was uh, um, several highlight packs of the best moments of Nikita Zadorov as a Calgary Flame. Go look at them. He's all coming down the left side <laughs> like those are mm. those are clearly his best moments is tracking down the left side um now you can you can of course swoop over after starting on the right side you can swoop mm -hmm. over like it doesn't necessarily that's you know moving a straight line but i did pick up on that that all those highlights that i saw were him on the left side in the offensive zone yeah um doesn't mean he can't track back on the right side to play defensively there uh, it's certainly possible um but i i did note that i mean so there are a couple of things he's I think. the leader in the clubhouse of the left he's moving to the right oh i, I think. think so yeah i think so but you know, talking about what j had on rink-wide last night, it's so very odd to me that Tockett and Foot are okay with playing four righties, playing a righty on the left side, but haven't seemed to have the same confidence in playing a lefty on the right side when it is typically almost always the lefty who has to flip over and play the right side because of the scarcity of the right-shot defenseman. Now, we discussed it in yesterday's pod, everything that this player brings and the process to get to this player and all of this is pretty good work from Canucks management this week and they've taken advantage of a couple of situations in Chicago and in Calgary it fits with Jim Rutherford's motif of being one of the early movers we 
talked about how this now affects three quarters of a season as opposed to just the one quarter after the trade deadline, that he's got all this time to integrate with his teammates. The management has all this time to evaluate and talk to him about a potential extension, which is also one of the big lingering questions here with Sidorov. Not to mention the fact you need him right now with the Carson Soucy injury, but beyond just that, Blake, like Rick Tockett said it plainly last night, they're playing guys too many minutes, and he obviously means Quinn Hughes and Philip Ronick, and I think that somewhat explains the performance of the club here after the fantastic start, and I think also speaks to how cutely the need, how cute the need was in the here and now to get somebody who can munch minutes, and that's what Tockett addressed that's what talk it addressed yesterday. Here's the one thing about this acquisition that about this acquisition beyond second pair, third pair, left side, right side. He's not a big special teams guy, huh? No, no. In fact, 14 goal season last year, nothing on the power play, which is unbelievable. And, and granted, the Calgary Flames have a very good top four. So grain of salt this. But he was the fifth most used penalty killing defenseman, Calgary, mm-hmm. playing a minute thirty-seven per. Now he's just slightly behind Rasmus Anderson on that score, and of course Tanif, Weaker, and Hannafin are the guys they lead on. Almost never plays the power play. It's just odd in today's day and age to have such a even strength defenseman, you know, who who doesn't contribute much. Of anything on either special team. I, th- I think you you found it, though. He's had a pretty established group ahead of him. Um, that being said, I mean, I wouldn't suspect that it's that tough of a learn, particularly for a bigger guy like that that has some mobility. Um, I mean, I, I think you could probably teach him up on, on the PK, get get the rust off, uh, off of him on the PK pretty quickly. So, um, you know, as long, particularly with, with Susie injured, and even with Susie healthy, I think you can construct the Vancouver Canucks defense in any number of ways. If they're healthy with Ethan Bear, that's where it gets interesting. And that's all the reporting is that they are still in on, on Ethan Bear. And I get it. They can probably afford him. Um, and he upgrades the group. But I am eminently intrigued, Matt. Who makes the top six if all seven were healthy? Yeah. Well, and we'll, we'll cross that bridge of Ethan Bear comes. Uh, as you'll hear later in the show, Frank Cervelli tells us the Toronto Maple Leafs, New Jersey Devils, other teams were poking around on Zadorov. And one of the things that's come to light is that the Vancouver Canucks were able to eat the entow- entirety of the salary, and they were only able to do that, of course, because they moved Anthony Beauvillier earlier in the week. So Really nimble bit of managing here from Alvin and Rutherford to make all of this happen. Uh, have read and checked in with our friends on in Calgary about how he does have a bit of chaos draft to him. Oh, the for mistakes sure. are loud. For sure. <laughs> loud mistakes. Can uh, skate, can like Myers can skate in a straight line quite yeah, well. He really can. So there are some similarities here. Yeah. Size and mobility. Yeah. Although more snarl here. Yes especially if you heard the conversation between Tyler Myers and the referee last night on that penalty against Paul Cotter. It was very polite. As Shorty said, that is the most polite conversation I've heard on an NHL ice surface in 20 years. Which is what makes the Kraken grudge with Tyler Myers oh, so yeah. hysterical. No, I and I saw Ian Furness railing against Myers the yeah. other day again. Like, 
my goodness, like you have found the wrong villain. This, this is isn't the this droid. You're like, <laughs> no, like no. to sit down and have a conversation with you. You're like, oh, what a gentle giant. <laughs> what a lovely guy. And he's persona non grata in no, Seattle absolutely. for some reason. <laughs> a couple of things I want to get to here. Uh, Craig Conroy, general manager of the Calgary Flames, with a little bit of shade on the way out the door. As you may have seen, there were reports of this. Flames captain Michael Backlund called the team meeting and basically said to the guys, enough with the noise. I think there were some perturbed that this trade request got public. And of course, you've already had Flames players and their and their uh, agents indicating that they want out or certainly wanted out after last year's Daryl Sutter redux. Here's Conroy, quote, this gives us cap flexibility and an opportunity to bring up a really good young player. $3.75 million for a third-pair defenseman is a lot of money, and that cap space opens up more possibilities. So, yeah. Conroy has judged him a third-pair defenseman and basically said he's overpaid. Uh, our buddy J.D. Burke of Elite Prospects is not the biggest fan of this. Nikita Zadorov is an altogether competent, versatile, low-end, top-four blue liner with soaring highs and comical, literally at times, lows, who can play either side. But I'm not sure he's a superior talent to a readily available defenseman like Ethan Bear, who had zero acquisition costs, which is fair. I'm not sweating the acquisition cost that much, particularly since that third rounder is three drafts away. Like, you have time to replace that. Not that the Canucks ever replace picks, but you do have time to theoretically replace that pick. And, of course, the fifth rounder from Chicago has found money from Beauvillier. Jay Fresh Hockey. Nikita Zadorov, acquired by Vancouver, is a physical defense first blue liner whose mix of speed and aggressiveness has both positive and negative effects, takes penalties and on occasion makes big mistakes, but strong defensive metrics and can carry the puck in transition. You don't want him to be, like, his profile looks so good for the playoffs for the Vancouver Canucks, um, and that is tantalizing. Here's the problem with guys that have that profile, and I put like his his most recent teammate here, Nazem Kadri. Nazem Kadri has the perfect playoff profile when he's not getting suspended in the playoffs. Exactly. So never never mind taking a two minute minor in the first period that you know puts your team down a goal early, which you hate, which he would be at risk for. You hope he just plays every game and is available to play every game because a right. guy like Nazem Kadri has played himself out of the lineup a bunch of times. So you're walking a little bit of a high wire here. It's a little bit of a gamble, but he also knows that he's up for a contract. So I would suspect you get you get the best version of Nikita Zadorov that's possible over the next few months here because he has a chance to sign a pretty lucrative deal, I would think, if he looks good here as a Vancouver Canuck. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the other thing. You have Cole and Myers as UFAs. And in fact, I know you've t- talked about the depth and if they have seven who, you know, who plays, you know, they have been trying to move Myers. So you do wonder whether this is, facilitates a Myers trade of some order because that would be an interesting salary to move off because the other thing that's come to light here, Blake, is, and this is even if, you know, Kuzmenko and Patterson and some of the guys are hitting on all cylinders, they need another top six forward. Yep. D. Giuseppe ain't it. Hoaglander could be it. But even then, is McKayev going to be it through the I'm entirety fine. of I'm the season? I'm fine with McKayev. So, so but... am I. But what I'm what I'm saying is, I think McKayev is, I mean, he's on the first line now. I think he's a middle six guy. He's done pretty well. We'll see how he 
keeps up over the long season coming back off that knee surgery. Well, I mean, we'll see if Besser can be consistent. He has been prone to highs and and valleys mm-hmm. in, in his career. So I think you need another. So I answer no on the poll question because I still think they're a piece or two away in terms of being a contender. I don't necessarily feel like last night was a uh, um, was a verdict on whether they contend. It's one game of 82. In fact, we'll hear from JT Miller on it in a second. But I, I, I do look at Vegas and I do look at Colorado and I say to myself, well, these two things are not like the Vancouver Canucks. Well, and again, we've talked about this too. The you know the Canucks are not going to get easy playoff draws here. The way that it's trending, like they're going to face a very good team as early as the first round, and potentially after a spectacular season where you don't have home ice. Right. So if you're in the third slot in the Pacific, and let's face it, and I know the Kings lost to a, to a Washington team earlier in the week, but. The Canucks show in second place right now in the Pacific, but they're two up on the Kings who have four games in hand. So really, you're the third-place team right now in the Pacific. I would think that L.A. can manage two to three points. I guess it would need to be three for tiebreaker purposes. Like There's a Fab Four in the Western Conference. Dallas, Colorado in the Central, Vegas, and L.A., I think, in the Pacific. And I think the Canucks are need to prove to themselves that they can beat those teams. They've done well versus Dallas so far this season, but they've got to show themselves against the other teams. Mm-hmm. You can only, you have to wait for them on the calendar. You don't get a chance to 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 play Vegas again tomorrow night. You got to play Calgary, but it, it'll be nice to see the Canucks actually play some of the better teams over a longer stretch of time and you know they've had a medium easy schedule well this is what i was going to ask you about blake because i know you've pushed back on they've played an easy schedule and rightfully so when you look at you know we all expected edmonton to be good and they're not right now and so those wins perhaps don't look of the same quality but they've got three wins against playoff teams all year at florida where they win the third period the Dallas win, which was a very steady, solid, low-scoring playoff-style win. And then St. Louis, where they jump on them early and don't give the Blues anything from there. And, you know, St. Louis is barely on a playoff spot right now. So strength of schedule has not been very good. No, it, it, it hasn't I, I been great. I think we're at the stage where we have to acknowledge that they have fattened up against um, some poor teams. Um, Islanders are right on the bubble, too, um, mm-hmm. and they've got games in hand. So they might be a playoff team in, right. in, a, in effect as well. Um, but And, again, here's my biggest defense of that. You you only play who's in front of you, right? Oh, of like, course. Yeah. So, my goodness, if they had beaten a couple of these quality teams as well, they'd be the first-place mm-hmm. team in the league. So, like, that, that's what you're asking them to have been, uh, been doing to this point in the schedule. Um, you know, here's the test. This homestand coming up here after the game versus Calgary, and Calgary's going to be a test too because they've got a little bit of mojo, won again last night. Um, you know, they play New Jersey. They play Carolina. They play Tampa. They play Florida on this homestand. Mm-hmm. All good teams, and you get them at home. So this is this is the training wheels version of facing these teams because you get them at home. But those are yeah. four good teams, not to mention a Minnesota Wild team that's got a fire lit, uh, lit under them. Not an easy homestand, so I think we're going to know more on that on the on this front after. Well, and uh, of course that Jersey game is the Hughes brothers, yeah. yeah. Which in that Florida game is the uh, Roberto Luongo 
<clears throat> Ring of Honor. I'm, I'm holding out hope the surprise retirement. I'm holding out yeah. hope. Aren't we all? Uh, let's hear from JT Miller, Canucks forward, who does get on the score sheet last night, but a minus two in the first, and um, that line and the defense pair of Quinn Hughes and Philip Ronick, um quite guilty in the first period against a Vegas team that clearly came to play. Here's Miller on losing this first place showdown. Uh, listen, you guys can make the game bigger than it is. It's not a big deal. I mean, it's another another night, another matchup for us, another opportunity to to get two points and. Does it propel us ahead of them or vice versa if we win? Sure, but it's certainly not going to, you know, put us on cloud nine if we would have won that game. It's a day-to-day thing, and today we got outworked, and they uh, they deserve to win for sure. Well, there's great honesty and accountability last night from JT Miller with regards to his performance and the club's performance in this game, and he's right, and frankly, I think that's, you know, I thought Tockett did a pretty good job of messaging this game. Uh, I thought he walked the line between, hey, yeah, it is a big game. It's a good test, Brommer and all that without putting too much of an onus on it. It's too bad that the team didn't... I guess the, the disappointing part is, where's your compete level? Like, the Vancouver Canucks had played 23 games previous to that one last night, and there wasn't a single instance of them getting owned tip to tail. No, not really. Th- that was the worst loss of the season it, just because the compete level wasn't there. I mean, you got doubled up in shots... Well, you got smacked upside the head early, which is disappointing because you know who you're facing. Right. Like, you and they're know pretty they're good. good. And, yeah. and, and, you know, you got to be prepared for the fact that, yeah, they may jump all over you. That's a damn good team. Where's the pushback? Where's the fight? And there wasn't much. There's, there's no shame in a loss to the Vegas Golden no. Knights. There's shame in that kind of loss. Right. Though. There's there's differing scales. And the fact that it's on home ice isn't great yeah. either. You'd prefer that loss to happen in Vegas. Right. And it happened on your watch. One more negative point here before we move on to the positive. Patterson was utterly invisible last mm. night. Not even an attempt on the goal. Yep. Pretty quiet. Take a shot every time he falls over. He'll be hammered. Halfway through the first period. That was as poor a game as I can remember from Elias Pettersson. Well, you, you know what also concerns me is, um, you know, RIP Jason Boschford. What's the, what was his first tagline the minute he saw Elias Pet- Pettersson? Bro, do your deeks. See how many successful deeks yeah. Elias. So, like, and you, deferring shots. And so, like, there's a totality th- of things right now with Pettersson. That is leading a lot of people to now, the Deeks could just be, be hurt. the Deeks could just be a confidence issue. I think that definitely could be a talkit issue too, right? Like, let's not get too crazy out there. Well, no, but he's he's attempting them, and he's just like it's pucks poked off his stick so easily right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I don't know what what's if it's the symptom or the cause, but he's just a different looking Elias Pettersson out there. It came with a little bit of a delay. Didn't happen Tuesday when he got right back in the lineup. But message received from Andre Kuzmenko after spending a couple of games in the doghouse, being scratched on the weekend. Thought he was the best Canuck last night. Scores their only goal. Well, he scores on a shoots and scores goal, exactly. too, which is nice. And Rick Tockett says the third period might be the best I've seen of him all year. Mm-hmm. And maybe we see him alongside JT Miller a little bit more often. Yeah, well... Because Di Giuseppe was demoted off the Hoaglander got a shot. Kuzmenko got a shot on that line last night. Yep. And, you know, maybe nearly a third of the way through the season, 
you know, maybe the ask here of being the matchup line and having to take on a big share of the scoring is getting a little heavy for Miller and for no. Besser. That that would be understandable as well. I mean, the third line, again, is probably their best line last night. Still no bottom line. You like what they're doing. It's just the results aren't. Joshua easily. It feels like Dakota Joshua should score a goal per game almost. Almost. Do you, do you think there could have been a penalty there? Hmm. Didn't didn't okay. become too obvious for me. But I, I, it's, hey, this is the regression stuff that we talked about. Not so much the win-loss column just yet because there are 500 teams still. They're just they're, they're winning one, they're losing one right now. Um, but there is regression with the bottom line of the star players. That Oh, that there's, that's, yeah. uh, uh, no, that, there's no doubt. No They're doubt. being picked up by other parts of the lineup, allowing this 500 spell to, to not be worse than it is. Mm-hmm. But the other guys got to get going, including Quinn yeah. Hughes, who's, who's again, not doing less. I still see Quinn Hughes doing all of his stuff, but the, the spontaneous bounces of the frozen rubber disc is just yeah. not in his favor right now. Shots are not getting through. Like, uh, there's a bunch of times, even last night, at, at, at all different score uh, levels where I'm seeing Queen Hughes, I'm like, oh, and then it's not even a shot on goal. Like it's it's just not happening for them right now. They've got to grind through it. On to football, and wasn't able to see much beyond the first quarter. Was in here covering the game. It was gross. You're lucky. Well, a, a couple of things. One thing that's not gross: those Seahawks uniforms. Oh, beautiful! Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. They need to go back to them as the primary. Secondly, for a team that has been miserable for like six weeks offensively. No, the Stars came out to shine for a bunch. I mean, like DK with the early touchdown, and you're thinking, whoa. And Gino looked like he was throwing some darts last night. Yeah, Tyler Lockett could have helped him in the final. That one dart in the fourth, late in the fourth quarter, if Lockett grabs that, you know, they're still in business. The play calling is getting a lot of attention, and rightly so. Um you know whether that's coming right from the top or just the OC. It's it's hard to know, but they had Pete several. Has for the most part allowed offensive coordinators to run the offense. He's a defensive. But in big game situations, mm-hmm. fourth downs. Yep. Um, you know there was there was three fourth downs I think in the fourth quarter. The conversions. Well, the final ill-fated like, fourth down is one that I think he got a little trouble with with Waldron. And that's because, and I saw Michael Sean Duggar and, and other Seahawks beat writers explain it. The play is designed to let the linebacker come free. The play is designed for the right tackle, Abe, Lu- Abe Lucas, to squeeze down as he does. And for DJ Dallas, the running back, he doesn't have a protection assignment there. He's supposed to leak out and, and be an op- the option as the receiver. So, which is fine if you're playing against a, you know, a two-down scrub linebacker. And you really love your blocking running back who's supposed to come down and Well, and no, he's supposed to leak out and catch the ball. If, if you feel good about your offensive line being able to protect, because the play is designed that you want the pressure to come yeah. and then dump the ball over the blitzing linebacker's head. But when the blitzing linebacker is Micah Parsons, who may be the single best football player walking planet Earth, 
I mean, he closes quickly, man. That's a fast guy with long arms who can really disrupt your shit in the backfield. So, but to me, the, that one to me was a big head scratcher. Is but they it, never even get to that fourth down. If on the previous drive, which of course then led to points for Dallas, if on the previous drive they they get the fourth down again, or they're on the Dallas forty six or something like that, <laughs> and it's just this most mundane handoff to Charbonnet, he gets knocked down for like a three yard loss. Yeah. Like they like there's just. There's just no ingenuity. Like yeah. the minute the play happened, you're like, really? Like you just thought I'm going to give it to him and he's going to run and we get the first down. Like it's just there's and you don't not everything has to be an elaborate trick play, but movement something. So, and yet Blake, um, look offensively, they're limited to some degree. Geno Smith is not an upper echelon quarterback he's not an extend the down and he's not a big moment a great play he's not a big platform. moment quarterback like like he's russell not, either yeah he, no. he's not an extend the down make the off platform throw freelance you know he's got to be throwing the ball from the launch point as the play is designed and the protection has to be there and the receivers have to run crisp routes i know they got some guys in the interior offensive line but i'm just not sure they're quite good enough there yet the young tackles, I think, would be good, but they've been so beat up all year. They've been year. so beat up, yeah. My concern, they have been, according to the advanced metrics and the analytics, one of the worst defenses in the NFL since adding Leonard Williams on Halloween. Like, we all looked at it and went, oh, great addition, a big cat defensive tackle like that, help you in the run defense, get upfield a little bit to help your pressure. They've been dreadful there. Since since he came. And I know they've had some injuries there as well. The other thing, that combined with the fact they were so insistent on playing Adams and playing Adams as a safety, it just doesn't seem like they have clarity of vision or purpose in terms of what they want to do defensively. And to me, that is most surprising because that's Pete's side of the ball. That's where the your head coach should be the grand poobah, the overseer, and be able to fix whatever's happening there, either with your scheme or with your personnel. This from Optistats. No team in NFL history had ever had 125 penalty yards in a game without punting. Both Dallas and Seattle did that last night. The flags. A record for penalty yards in a game the NFL this year. Uh, I'm sitting here watching Twitter and the referee's first name is, you know, the referee's name is trending. Yeah. Well, and people and, saying, oh, the officials have taken over this game. Was it that bad? Um, no. Like, there, there was, they there commit a lot of fouls. They commit committed. a lot of fouls. I mean, and Seattle has typically been that team. That's under the thing. Carroll. It was just more of the same, really, from Seattle. The fact that they actually met their match in that category when the Cowboys was more surprising. And on the no punt thing, you know, there should have been one. Again, that's that penultimate drive. You're only at the 46. Like, maybe just pin them deep. You know, double. They had short yardage to to get the final field goal there. Maybe maybe you just pin them deep and make them come the full hundred yards down the down the field. Put your faith in the defense, but they didn't. They put faith in their offense to get the 
two yards, and they didn't get them. So there probably should have been uh, a punt, but ultimately not. They had moved into playoff position after the Minnesota Vikings loss on Monday night football. Um, they're 6-6. Six and six. It's okay. They've only got the 49ers next. <laughs> <laughs> they're 6-6. Six and six. Green Bay is coming. And in fact, uh, Green Bay and the Rams are coming. Right, right. Rams Rams got Cleveland at home this week, and that's Cleveland with a Miles Garrett who's nursing some sort of shoulder injury. Now Green Bay's got a tough one in Kansas City, but they got him at home, and they've got him off the long week. And New Orleans is five and six as well. So, you know, we haven't seen it a lot in the P. Carroll era, but this could well be a non-playoff season. Well, Forty Niners, Eagles. And Steelers still on the schedule for the mm-hmm. for and the Steelers Seahawks. are playing better ball after yeah. they uh, fired their offensive coordinator. Not good. Let's get to today's menu. It's brought to you by Greta. Greta, a fantastic spot to catch the game throughout the season, the playoffs, place to chill in the off season. Frank Cervelli will join us today, NHL insider from the Daily Faceoff. We ask him because he's been as bullish on the Canucks as anyone. Does he think them a contender? Zadorov, how did the sorry Zadorov? How did the trade uh, come down? Ethan Bear and the interest there. Corey Perry and the interesting saga that's playing out even after Perry's statement yesterday. And uh, former Canuck executive Mike Gillis. There's some some news there as well. We'll get to some hashtags. The best and worst of Twitter. Dan Milstein, agent to Nikita Zadorov. Andre Kuzmenko, Ilya Mikheyev is going to join us. To the people we go, go to the people on Mondays and Fridays. You can text us, 778-402-9680, the Great Clips text message inbox. Email live at scarceandprice.com. Take care of some price from Wall Center presentation. Applewood Auto Group. A nice little shaker in the background there. Maracas in the mm. background. That's actually me. Yeah, it's Grady live. I prefer the shaker as the uh, sleigh bells. Oh, it's the season. December 1st, get your advent calendars going. Sleigh bells, very big in West Coast rap of the 90s. Yeah, they did make appearances. A lot of piano, too, sometimes. Applewood Mitsubishi's in the Richmond Auto Mall. Completely unrelated to the previous conversation. And I don't know. This is one of the uh, upsides to the plug-in hybrid edition of the Mitsubishi Outlander that I drive. Um, It seems to get warmer quicker than the full gas car. Maybe because the batteries plays a bigger role there, but that's one of the pluses uh, that I've noticed. In addition to, of course, just not filling up the car more than like once a month. So you want to join that? Make your factory order if you plug in hybrid edition. Gas Outlanders have rates from 4.99%. They got lots in stock. Go to Applewood Mitsubishi in the Richmond Auto Mall. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question, does the Nikita Zadorov acquisition make the Canucks a contender? Yes or no? You can vote. Secure some price on Twitter and YouTube. We're joined now by NHL insider Frank Saravelli of the Daily Faceoff, the Frankly Speaking podcast. I'm told Quadrelli calls you. No, don't say it. Don't do it. Don't do don't, it. Don't do it. No, it's bad. I don't want to hear that. I get, I get very squeamish 
All right. He thinks Randy. it's funny though. All these kids are they think it's funny. <laughs> they give you nicknames, they think it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Did I tell you Quadrelli broke our chair in here? Broke broke my chair. I mean, look, I'm a big dude and I was in there and I didn't break it. Exactly. So I feel good about that. How does a waif of a guy like David Quadrelli break the chair? 78 pound David Quadrelli uh -huh. breaks yeah. chair. Yeah. Doesn't hmm. seem right. Tell us how the Nikita's the door off deal got done with the Canucks. What an absolute fortunate spot the Canucks were in this week. Everything comes together. Think about it from this perspective. They've been trying to move Anthony Beauvillier for a while now. They can't find any traction or thinking that they probably have to attach a piece in order for a team to take on his contract. They're dying for cap flexibility and Taylor Hall goes out for the season and Corey Perry gets his contract terminated. And all of a sudden the Chicago Blackhawks after their face of their franchise was getting blasted on social media as shrapnel, just, you know, a pure bystander here. And then you have the on ice portion of it also eroding away the support factor that you tried to bring into place for your, you know, unbelievable talent that you have in your lineup as an 18 year old. They say, you know what? We could actually take a flyer on Beauvillier. So we're going to give you a fifth round pick. And the Canucks are thrilled. Now, for the first time, as mentioned in Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford's tenure, they have cap flexibility and freedom. And oh, by the way, we're going to take that fifth round pick that Chicago gave us, add in a third, and get a six foot six defenseman who's mean, who can move. And we can finally provide some proper support again in our defensive lineup that had suddenly withered away after we talked all preseason guys about the biggest change for me for the Canucks this year was the fact that they had Philip Peronic for a full year, Carson Soucy, Ian Cole, and all of a sudden you get back into the same ugly spot you were in where you're playing, no offense, Noah Juleson, Cole McWard, and you can directly correlate the sort of, you know, valleys in the Canucks season to this point to a shortened, thin lineup. And now you can bring in Zadaroff and shore that up again. Some tidy, tidy work being done. Who else was involved here, Frank? Who did they beat out? Well, I think they were in a spot where, <clears throat> excuse me, first off, the Calgary Flames, as much as they valued whatever they got in return, in talking to some people in Calgary, they really wanted to quiet down a lot of what was out there, just drama-wise, noise-wise. And it took a team meeting from Captain Michael Backlund to go through and say, enough of this stuff, enough of trade requests coming through the media. If you've got a problem, take it up with Flames management directly. So the Calgary Flames and Craig Conroy are too classy. They're too polite to throw dirt on Nikita Zadarov on the way out. But I think that was a certain part of this deal. Yes, the pick is fine. I think if the Flames had hung on to Zadaroff until March 8th, they probably get a second. But they get cap flexibility in the meantime, not having to retain on Zadaroff. And also, they limit some of that noise. And I think for a team that's trying to climb back into the playoff race, that's pretty key. So who do they beat out? I think there's no question that the Toronto Maple Leafs had sniffed around but what Toronto is trying to accomplish is trying to bring in two defensemen for what 
they're losing in John Klingberg and his salary. So they couldn't take on all of Zadarov's money. They wanted the, the Flames to retain. And same thing with some other teams. I think New Jersey had checked in. Of those teams that had been in the mix, they all were looking for the Flames to retain. And that kind of defeats the purpose because if you've got other pending UFAs that you'd like to move, well, then you probably want to make sure that you have enough retention spots to be able to do that. Does, does it concern you looking at the Canucks that Milstein's got some prominent clients? Like, does it ever concern you when one agent's got a bunch of players on one team? Does that change the dynamic at all? Not really. I mean, nope. the nature of this league is that I'd say 70% of the league, it feels like, is either represented by Newport Sports or CAA. It's probably mm. a, a, a slightly smaller number, but on any given team, there's like five clients from Newport, you know, three or five from CAA. So it feels like they have a huge chunk of the league. And I don't, I think in certain markets, you worry about, um, you know, sort of one agency kind of controlling things. And, you know, maybe that's a real thing. Maybe it isn't. But with the case of um, the Canucks, so it's Mikheyev, Kuzmenko, Zadarov. Am I missing anyone? Mm, no, I think it's different. It's, it's not enough to, yeah. to, to, I think, turn the yeah. tide or anything yeah. and, and offer some sort of proxy control, if that's what you're thinking. Big question here, Frank. Look, Zadorov... Uh, um helps regardless because as you mentioned look at some of the defensemen who they were playing and talk and said we're playing some guys too many minutes and that's obviously Hughes and Hronick but do you believe he can be a top four right side defenseman on his off uh, his offhand in a perfect world I don't I think he's a third pair defenseman and I think that more or less that was what limited the return for the Calgary Flames is that enough teams around him view him as a nice complimentary piece that can provide a different element, some size and physicality. But ultimately at the end of the day, whether it's through minutes played mistakes made contribution to different units um, that he's really trending more towards a third pair guy when slotted correctly on a true sort of contending team. So Maybe if the Canucks are asking him to play second pair, it kind of gives you some window into my thought process in terms of where the Canucks are at and getting to that level. And you saw that measuring stick game on Thursday night against the Golden Knights. Um, the Canucks have made huge strides. There's no doubt about that. And I think if you're a Canucks fan, you've got to be thrilled about where this team is at. But I still think there's a real clear separation to me between the Golden Knights and the Los Angeles Kings, and then the Canucks one level below that. So are they? You've been as bullish on the Canucks as anyone. Do you you don't consider them a contender then? I think my contender group is like pretty small. I think it's six to seven teams, and I've had the Canucks as a firm playoff team the whole time. That hasn't wavered. I'm not saying that they can't continue to make additions to get there, but I think that they're the next rung down from being a contender. A big thing that would make them contenders would be to flesh out this blue line even more. And of course there's a lot of uh, knocking on the door of Ethan bear and, and it doesn't sound like they're out of that. Uh, and, and it's not like Ethan bear has got a, a ton of leverage league. wide. he is open to sign anywhere, but you know, coming off a, a big injury like this, he probably wants to stay as comfortable as he can here. Do you think they still go down the Ethan bear Boulevard here? Uh, despite this addition? I don't know why you wouldn't. I mean, he's free depth is the way I look at it. Like 
if Ethan Bear can get back to a level commensurate to what he was at a few years ago, then I view that, and again, I don't mean to be picking on anyone, but I view that as a, a slight level above Juleson and and McWard in that group. As you should. So, yeah. So like, so what that is is the Canucks need to avoid at all costs being in a spot where they're playing fringe depth replacement level players on their blue line for significant or sustained stretches of time. It's still a blue line, even with bear though. And and bear had great numbers with Quinn Hughes. So they could go back to that, but it's still a blue line. Even if you added bear, that's a lot of like number fives, isn't it? Isn't it like, there's not a, like name the fourth defenseman on the Vancouver Canucks. And is he a true number four? Well, I think that's the root of the problem. And I think it's also the root of what, the Canucks acknowledges the problem and what they're trying to solve for. Yeah. Uh, um, I, you know, I was talking to an NHL GM in the last couple of days who said, I would absolutely, this is, you know, apologies for the graphic reference, but he said, I would love to drop my drawers and shit out two defensemen right now, but I just can't, like, they don't exist. You can't get them anywhere. And so that sort of goes to show you how difficult it is to, to try and bring in, legitimate top four guys, which is why going back to last year and the trade for Philip Aronik, I really praise the Canucks vision at a time in which they were getting absolutely hammered in your market for, Oh, what's the plan? Tell me these guys are flying by the seat of their pants. They just get this pick. It burns a hole in their pocket. Oh, this is how we react to the Bo Horvat trade. Sounds like they had a pretty sound plan to me. Now the next step in the process is going to be paying Philip Hironik on a contract that my guess is Canucks fans probably aren't going to love. But if you can nail down two of your four slots with a premier top five defenseman in the league and a partner that is not only the best partner he's ever played with in Van, but someone that very clearly makes him comfortable, I think that guy is worth his weight in gold. Do you think Rick Taka wants to split up Hughes and Hironik, ideally, and and find four guys he can probably wanted to do it all through training camp and preseason until the Susie injury. I can't begin to speculate on what Rick Tockett thinks. I know personally, if it's working as well as it has been, it ain't broken. So don't try and fix it. Mm -hmm. And, and I think you go out and try and fill the three and four spots any other, which way you can. Moving along to uh, Corey Perry, uh, we mentioned it earlier in the week, uh, the most thorough story I've seen on this matter in Chicago with Port, with Perry was yours of a couple of days ago. So two-part question here. Do you think Perry and his agent, Pat Morris of Newport, are going to grieve? And this is this a PA matter that rises to the level, Frank, where with or without the cooperation of Perry, and Morris, they may grieve just on the principle and the precedent of it all. I think they should. I think this is a fascinating crossroads for the NHL and NHLPA because I think really the undercurrent of all of this, and I think it's important to keep in mind the perspective of we still don't know exactly what Corey Perry did. We know that, as I reported, it was an alcohol-fueled incident, which he then alluded to with his discussion and and how he's seeking help for uh, alcohol abuse and also mental health, um, which I thought was an important way to sort of add context without telling us. And 
I've seen this commentary on social media, and as a complete aside, I'd just like to park it for one second. As a reporter and as someone who has been in the mix on a million different stories, if I knew the dead nuts facts of this is exactly what happened and it was confirmed by someone not secondhand, but someone that has direct knowledge of it, you can best believe that I would be reporting it. This is the same guy who quote unquote ruined the Seattle Kraken expansion draft. I'm here to report on the NHL and I'm here to report on all sorts of different ancillary connected things to it. And I'm not in anyone's pocket. So the, the accusation that I got on social media was that I'm an insider and I'm playing nice with everyone. I don't really care just to park that for one second. Duly the next, noted. The next part is I don't know the facts. I have an idea. I've heard lots of rumblings and rumors and stories, but I don't, no one has confirmed it to me. So this kind of shrouds or clouds how I answer the question. And that's the reason why I explain it is because if we knew for certain, it would be a lot easier to say they got to get in there and, and do it now, appeal now. But I think just from a pure precedent setting standpoint, because what the NHL has made it really clear to everyone watching is, hey, team, we support you in terminating contracts almost kind of for any reason now because, oh, we'll just go through the grievance process if it even comes to that, and then we'll come to a settlement. So Corey Perry's days with the Chicago Blackhawks are definitively over. He's never going to play for the team again. However, he may get some money back, but I don't think that's the way that it should be. And I think that's what the NHLPA has to stand up for, which is if you have committed something that the team believes to be inappropriate and or immoral, if it's not illegal, do you, have you met the high threshold, the high bar for a contract to be terminated? And it's not important because Corey Perry's 38. He's had a Hall of Fame level career and he's an easy guy on a one-year deal to throw out as a sacrificial lamb for a team that's trying to generate trust in the community again and it's trying to build that however if something similar were to happen to a guy who has signed a 70 million dollar contract extension and has oh by the way maybe underperformed or hasn't played well does this now open up the door for a team to get out from under a contract that they may not love at a time when salary cap dollars are so incredibly precious? Uh, and the other thing that we noted this week, whatever Corey Perry did doesn't seem to have risen to the level of NHL discipline. Right? NHL right? discipline or something that the police or authorities would mm -hmm. be involved in as illegal. So then let me ask you this. Is it possible that it's already been a broker deal with Perry and Morris and they say you're going to take a termination of the standard player contract and you've got a chance to play another day? Otherwise, this, this, and this is taking place and it's going to be a lot messier for you? Well, I think the good part for Corey Perry is that because the way the CBA is structured, the NHLPA has 60 days from the date of termination, which I believe was Wednesday, to file a grievance. And as we've seen with Evander Kane and others, it's possible for Corey Perry to latch on somewhere else and right. then file the grievance, which would sort of allow him to, if you want to say, have his cake and eat it too. Yeah. But 
Mike Richards did that too. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mike Richards, Evander well, Kane, it. a lot of people have done it. But well, should the should the teams be allowed to terminate contracts? Right. And know. Frank, we noted, and you mentioned in your story, like Slava Voinov spent ninety days in jail and got his money. So um, th- this is quite interesting going forward here. Um, uh, just to add one thing, I do think a few teams have already reached out to the Corey Perry camp. I think they are not in that mode yet where, where he is seeking help and is putting attention on trying to get to that point where he feels like he's made some positive steps forward in his life. But at the very least, teams have reached out to want to understand, well, what really did happen here? And if we were interested in bringing you in, what are some of the details that we would need to know? Do you think he plays again? I do. In the NHL? Yeah, you do. Well, wow. yeah. uh, lastly, our uh, our old friend Mr. Gillis over there at the Augusta of Canada, uh, Victoria Golf Club, or the Pebble Beach of Canada mm-hmm. on the Vancouver Island, uh, is no longer going to be advising the NHLPA when his contract expires at the end of this month. What happened there? It's a good question. I asked Marty Walsh on a sit down that I had that was posted uh, on the Frankly Speaking podcast this week. I, I loved I've done 400 or 500 podcast episodes on different platforms. And this is like one of my all time favorite conversations. One, because Marty Walsh is a fantastically interesting guy, two term mayor of Boston, sitting U.S. Uh, Secretary of Labor, and I break the news that he's coming to the NHLPA on the day of the State of the Union. And that kind of overshadowed at least the news cycle for part of that day of Joe Biden's cabinet beginning to break up. And then he becomes designated survivor that night in a bunker somewhere in an undisclosed location in Washington, D.C. And Washington insider Frank Cervelli is going to be joining Wolf Blitzer later today. Well, if I keep going with this gray hair, all I need to do is grow out a beard and I might just be on the show. Um, But he's a really interesting guy. And so the conversation is great. And he's got an unreal Boston accent, which you'll love. But with regard to Mike Gillis, I asked and he said basically he's out and didn't give much context. And so what's fascinating for me is Mike Gillis was a finalist for that executive director job. And so was Matthew Schneider who had been at the PA for 12 years. And now both of those guys are out, which has allowed for a real consolidation of power for Ron Hainsey, who Marty Walsh hired in this position that had never existed before as existent assistant executive director. And so Mike Gillis was working really closely on group licensing deals and what the NHLPA's plan was for that going forward. He wielded a lot of influence there uh, as one of the sort of high ranking guys that not really a lot of people in the public knew about, but was really closely uh, counted on by Don fear on all sorts of different matters. And so it's kind of abundantly obvious to me that Marty Walsh just wants to put his own people in place. And it was like out with the old, especially two guys that had been vying for the job. And now Mike Gillis and Matthew Schneider, free agents. At 65, mm-hmm. did, does Mike Gillis get attached to hockey again, do you think? I think he does. I think he's a really sharp guy that wants to impact things. Um, I don't know what that means moving forward, but if if I were a team... And now that I've had a real good chance over the last few years to understand how the Canucks work under ownership and all the different pressure points, when you look back on his tenure, 
Like it actually, it looks quite good in history, doesn't it? Yep. Like, mm-hmm. Of course, there were some missteps and mistakes made. And there isn't a GM in history who has gotten through a tenure without having some blemishes on his on his resume. But I think history should be awful kind to Mike Gillis and his tenure in terms of the overall grand scheme and picture and how it's viewed. Well, when you understand yeah. ownership here, as you said, do you understand yeah. what he had to uh, and uh, bend off? I, I'm sort of startled when you said 65, but it's his birthday today, actually. is 65 oh, today. There you go. And, uh, Marty's well, happy gonna, birthday in the news cycle. There you go. I do what uh, I can. And as you say, Marty Walsh has an amazing Boston accent. Don't they all, Frank? Nah, like, not all of them. No? And some oh. of them are just straight up mass holes. So um, this was like... Oh, is Philly is talking here. Yeah, well... <laughs> Sixers playing the Celtics tonight? It had to come out at some point. Uh, but it's... I, I know, again, I'm I'm not trying to sell you on listening to my pod, but it's one of the favorite I've ever done. Awesome. Marvelous stuff. We'll catch up next Friday. See you guys. Sakaris Price from Wall Center. Presentation Apple at Auto Group. Hashtag to the best and worst at Twitter.com. I'm going to lead us off with that Byron M. Bader. Tracking prospects. A couple of his posts yesterday caught my eye. Okay. Hunter Bristevich and Axel Sandin Pelica are having fun out there and on the exact same production development path and I thought this was interesting because of course Axel Sandin Pelica is the player the Detroit Red Wings selected with the first round pick the Canucks gave mm-hmm. them for Philip Ronick but that's a first round pick Bristevich a third round pick and tracking with one of the top defensemen selected in his draft year so he continues to uh, collect accolades here and show that he's on an NHL path and then Bader on Macklin Celebrini, we have another star in Celebrini. And Macklin's chart, the presumptive first overall pick in the 2024 NHL entry draft from Vancouver, son of Rick Celebrini, of course, brother of Aiden Celebrini, Canucks draft pick. The comparables there, Blake, are Connor Bedard, Paul Correa, Patrick Kane, and Mario Lemieux. Those. No pressure, kid. No pressure. That is uh, quite a quartet. Yeah, he's he's way more out of sight than Connor Bedard is unfairly. Um, well, it's I think it's the difference between playing NCAA yeah, hockey and major junior. Oh, that's and it. it. And I think in our case, it's probably also the difference in terms of playing in the northeast of the U.S. as opposed to playing on. There's not the just prairies. Canadian cameras lying around right. like there are mm-hmm. uh, even in a smaller town like Regina. It was just that much easier to catch glimpses of of uh, of Connor Bedard. And here's the other thing about uh, Celebrini too, Blake. He took a hellacious hit early in his Boston University career, like was on his way down to the ice, and then the second guy came and drove through his head with an elbow. I know he missed at least one game. It was not a good hit, and he was pretty shaken up. And yet 22 points in 13 games amongst the NCAA scoring leaders. So I I think he's – honestly, I think Celebrini is 96% of Connor Bedard. 
Like, I, I think it's that close. I think they're that close to each other and what they can bring to the, the table. The one thing that um, people will tell you about Celebrini, and in fact, he's third right now in, NH- in NCAA scoring. The one thing people will tell you about Macklin is that he is a more complete 200-foot centerman than most superstar juniors. Yeah. Like, Bedard may well never be a good defensive player. This kid has the ability to be an asset on both ends of the ice. Yeah. Yeah. And and offensively, you're not giving up much to get that as well. So it's uh, he's a heck of a player. It's going to be a lot of fun to see can't wait to see him at the World Juniors uh, because, needless to say, Bedard put on a show there that we won't soon uh, forget, and we'll see if Macklin is able to. You think think Connor Bedard will get allowed to be released by the Hawks? You don't think so. No. (laughs) Zach Benson, maybe, though, from Buffalo. Yeah, it's possible. At at Talking Baseball, Dodgers, Cubs, Blue Jays, and Angels are among the teams still bidding on Shohei Otani, while the Mets, Rangers, and Red Sox have turned their attention to other players per Jeff Passan, yes. Uh, Jays fans went crazy yesterday with news that they, and some insiders were even saying it's down to two, that it's down to the Dodgers and Jays. Um, so it depends on who you listen to, but either way, the Jays are making the cut regardless. And, uh, hey, I don't think it's going to happen today, like Friday, but it could be shortly thereafter. Maybe it goes till Monday, but it doesn't sound like it's far away. Uh, Shohei Otani making his decision. I, I saw a post on Otani. Would he be the single biggest free agent signing or, or signing from a Canadian team in any sport ever? And I think he's on a very short list. Acquisition or signing? Signing. Not yeah. not trade. Yeah, Trade is different. Because yeah, trade, yeah. they have no choice, right? Yeah. But signing, so... I think several names come to mind. You'll remember the early 90s when the Blue Jays went out and signed Jack Morris and Dave Stewart, who were both Cy Young Award winners and aces of World Series champions. Now, they weren't exactly in their prime at the time, but those were as frontline, you know, I mean, those were two of the biggest pitching names in baseball in the 80s and early 90s. Some won't believe this, but Insigne is actually up there. It really is. Mm -hmm. When you look at pedigree and the sport that he plays and Sydney sure. would be up there sure uh rocket ishmael yep turned down being the first overall pick in the nfl draft to sign with the argos and then uh that number 11 guy here at one time yeah smaller sport so you don't get the global no sport, I, I, understandably yeah. so but within the context I mean, of north america Messier sure. is to this day one of the biggest figures in the history of the sport I've told this story before, but at the time, living back east, I would listen to New York City sports talk radio. At night, it would come in, WFAN, and and the hosts were apoplectic that Mark Messier, Rangers captain, would sign in this Canadian outpost on the West Coast. Like They just couldn't believe it. Right? Like, how could he? We beat them in the cup. How could he go yeah. sign over there and not continue being a ranger so yeah otani and the other thing is and and i'm sure the blue jays are selling him on this is they're telling him you've got a chance to be a hero in a second country 
because there is a large Japanese diaspora across this country, including in the city of Toronto, and he would be massive. Not to mention with just the Blue Jays fans coast to coast. I'm surprised the Mariners didn't make make it uh, further down the road. But the Mariners don't spend money. No, like therein lies part of the but problem. But you got to spend money to make mm-hmm. money. I'm just I'm I'm just a, a little bit surprised. But by the way, not to be outdone, uh, we forget now he was over the hill too. The Matt Sundin signing was a well, big, big coup I, as well. I was going to I was going to include him, uh, other than the fact that it turned out to be a half season where it was clear he was. No, I know, but it was, a, of it was an inordinately large sweepstakes, though, for well, him. Once again, you beat the Rangers out, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, it was down to the Canucks and Rangers. And I can tell you that one of the things that Sundin said to Gillis during the courtship was, you know, my, my wife and I have always wanted to live in New York City. And Mike said to him, Matts, you've got all the money in the world, and when your hockey career's done, you will have all the time in the world. Go buy yourself a condo in New York City and live there in retirement. I've got two golf ones. I'm going to put them both together here because uh, we're running low on time here. Uh, first at PGA Tour, Jordan Spieth proving there's more than one way to shoot 68 since 1993. Did you see his round yesterday? Just five pars. 13 holes That's our of, boy. of up and down. That's our boy. Everything from an eagle to a double bogey, and all of them in multiples. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, like the American Sevy, right? Like, he's just, he's all over the park. There is no escape too daring. He had a stretch from the eighth hole to the 17th hole without a par. <laughs> Like, that's unbelievable. For a, for a pro, that's hard to do. It's hard to do. Now, like, and again, there was greatness in there. In that span that I talked about, he had one, two, three. He had five birdies and an eagle in right. there. But he also had three, four bogeys. Right. There's no double on the card there? He has got a double. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So it wouldn't be a speeth card without a double. Bogey so. was on six, though. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Of, double bogey on six, yeah. What's Great. the second golf one? Uh, the second golf one is way more fun than that. Uh, oh. At Brownie Scott, the new RBC Canadian Open logo features Nick Taylor's iconic putter drop after sinking the 72-foot putt to win the 2023 tournament. It's missing an image of Adam Hadwin being tackled <laughs> in the background. <laughs> right. However, that's from AP Scott Brown. So, uh, you know, on the flags, on the logos, mm-hmm. the eye in Canadian, above Canadian Open, is Nick Taylor throwing his putter. It looks incredible. It is a as it should be, and is perfect. And you know what? I'm almost hopeful it lasts beyond this year. Like it's kind mm-hmm. of fun for this year, but he is like an historic moment now. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Like why not represent it forevermore? First Canadian win since Pat Fletcher. Yeah. Did you see Adam and Jessica Hadwin went as the security guard and Adam Hadwin? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Very probably. Good. Very good. I thought you were going to go to this. At Flushing at Golf, multiple sources on the player side have confirmed that John Rahm is a done deal to join the Live Golf League. John has had a standout season this year, winning four times, including the Masters. would be a huge asset to the league on and off the course. This now clears the way for a second wave of players joining Live with multiple spots opening up. It's expected to be announced next week. Further reports have the deal at $300 million and that John Rahm will captain his own team because, of course, they have a team element in Live Golf. This is a devastating blow for Jay Monahan. I was talking with our friend Dick Zokel uh, well, a few weeks back, maybe a month or so ago, after he uh, was uh, um, named as one of the inductees to the BC Sports Hall of Fame. 
And we were sitting there talking, going, you know, time is getting a little short in this year to broker this deal between the PIF and Live and mm-hmm. the PGA Tour. Blake, that deal may be gone now. This may just be a rival league that is going to continue to poach golf talent from the PGA Tour. I mean, they could very well be emboldened now and say, hmm, do we even need the PGA Tour? Or are we just going to run them out of money over time? And how much longer do they have given the purses that Monaghan has upped and promised going forward? Well, I mean, the, the strategically, the PGA Tour has put virtually every foot wrong here to allow this to happen. The other theory that's going around, though, is that John Rahm signing um, or the heated rumors that he's about to sign is the stepping on the neck for these negotiations in that it's basically, you know, we merge now under our terms or John Rahm's or we're stealing John Rahm. And uh, at this point, I guess I'm cheering for that. Like, right. well, I, I but guess, I mean, tactically, that's brilliant on their side. Yeah, and and it may be the best of so the scenarios. Where's the brilliance on the PGA Tour? Jay Monahan and company, you guys have paid so much money to be governors of this sport, and more often than not, it's showing up to golf tournaments, kissing babies, shaking hands. At the end of the day, though, you got to have the goods. Mm-hmm. You have to be one of the smarter people. In the room. That's showing, I mean, the proof right now is they're not. The thing that everybody's missing here is. Because this no- was ridiculed, Blake, when it started. Ridiculed. Which? Live. It's still ridiculed. Here's so the- how is it gaining so much traction with these top pros? Because it's money. Yeah. And, and here's the disappointing part is, I'm just going to watch less golf now. Yep. Because I'm not watching live. Politically, and entertainment-wise, I've got no skin in the game with Liv. You've made teams great. It's not geographically motivated. You're not the Vancouver whatevers. Why would I attach my name mm-hmm. to John Rom's or my fandom to John Rom's team? No cuts. Like Guaranteed money. There's no tribalism. Sports is about tribalism. Mm-hmm. I went to that school. I live in that city. I was born in that city. I've been rooting for this team since a kid. Right. All that stuff. Like, there's nothing. You're not going to be able to pull me in. Like, you just won't. Lastly, at Mark Lazarus in Chicago, in a statement, Corey Perry apologizes to his teammates and says he has started working with experts in mental health and substance abuse. Uh, The statement says he was sickened by the rumors and the speculation that involved teammates and their families. And he finishes by saying he is hoping to regain the trust and respect of everybody he has let down. Does Corey Perry play another NHL game? No. Um, and o- but I only say that because of his age. Like I, mm-hmm. I think if he was a twenty-eight-year-old that did this, I think he's got time to to come back. I just don't think he's got the time to come back. I think some time passes and he signs with the Edmonton Oilers by the deadline. Ooh, really? Huh? And that's take. hashtags for hot take. Yeah, hot sizzle. Take. No, that's not that hot. <laughs> he won't ever sizzle. Grady, and that's hashtags for today. Joined now by the assistant general manager of the Vancouver Gold Stars. <laughs> No, it's player agent Dan Milstein and his collection of 
Defiance on the Vancouver Canucks. That's only growing, Dan. How you doing? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. You're more than welcome. Um, Nikita Zadorov, kind of a guy. What kind of a player are the Vancouver Canucks getting? Nikita is a, a great... <laughs> he's, a, he's a very good hockey player, but he is a very, very good guy. He's going to be a fan favorite. He is going to be uh, very popular in the locker room. And uh, he's very outspoken. And uh, as a hockey player, you already know all the qualities. We know he was seeking a trade. How did he feel about Vancouver being the end destination? Uh, Vancouver has always been at the top of the list. And um, he, uh, he was very happy uh, when he learned that, uh, Vancouver, that he was going to go to Vancouver. What attracted him to the Canucks? Low taxes and good sushi. <laughs> I don't know the taxes part, but the sushi is sushi is definitely bang on. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously you've got a stable here. Is that does that play into a countryman and and some familiarity? I mean, I mean guys, I have t- I have clients that live on twenty six teams and mm-hmm. we're growing. So, um, so we have clients everywhere. Uh, and if it was up to me, I'd put everybody in Tampa. But the salary cap does not allow that. <laughs> but uh, all <laughs> all the jokes aside. Uh, uh, you know, Patrick and Jim have done a great job uh, rebuilding this team in such a short period of time. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, I communicate with them virt- just like with other teams virtually daily, and uh, I am uh, I'm you know, I'm very pleased and excited for, for what they've done in such a short period of time. Uh, Nikita would like to win. Winning team is the most important thing, and um, he feels that he could help the Vancouver Canucks uh, to bring the Stanley Cup. Um, as far as the other uh, guys on the team, Ilya Mikheyev and Andrei Kuzmenko, uh, they train together in the summers. Obviously, uh, Andrei Kuzmenko uh, spent the first two months of his summer in Bali and wherever else he's been. But uh, uh, in August, they trained uh, together in Miami and uh, Ilya and Nikita spent uh, uh, training the entire summer. So uh, they're good friends and uh, they're going to be great teammates. Why um why did Nikita want to move on from Calgary, Dan? And how does he feel about making his Canucks debut right back in Calgary against his old, <laughs> old teammates? Hey, I, I told him this morning. I said, "Hey, don't don't mix up the locker rooms." That's right. <laughs> but uh, uh, he, uh, he, 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 you know, uh, uh, he liked his time. He enjoyed his time in Calgary. Uh, he said good relationship. Uh, obviously, Daryl Sutter uh, helped him. Uh, de- helped him to develop and take his game to the next level. Um, obviously, Craig Conroy and last season, Brett Trilliving, been nothing but great. Uh, so despite the fact that, that we uh, went public, if you will, or the, I guess the uh, it broke, uh, kind of got out, um, and, and we asked for a trade, uh, there's nothing but uh, uh, that uh, there's a respect towards the team and the management. Um, so, uh, with that said, uh, it was time for Nikita to move on. Um, and he felt that uh, there were a few teams on the list. And like I said, Vancouver's been at the top of that list. Um, and he just felt that he could help uh, the team uh, to to win. And winning to Nikita is the most important thing. That's why he's been so outspoken at times. And um, he just wants to win. If the conditions were right, would he be re- willing to re-sign with the Canucks right now, or does he want to take some time and see how this goes in Vancouver? <laughs> Guys, let's date a little before we get hitched. Oh, wow, okay. We'll <laughs> so, take you out for dinner, yeah. I mean, you know, certainly, you know, Vancouver's been at the top of Nikita's list, and Vancouver feels, I, I would imagine, uh, very comfortable doing business with uh, with me and with uh, uh, with Nikita as well. 
and but at the, at the same time let him get in let him show what he can do and uh let's uh you know let's win some games and we'll talk about the future he's coming off a great year last year 14 goals this is the contract year though i mean i would i would guess a guy in his late 20s he's probably thinking I, I deserve one more raise here uh as my career goes on here i'm assuming you're thinking he's above 3.75 which is where he is now per year uh, guys, it's it's you know it's not about just scoring goals. I mean, he's a stay-at-home defenseman. You know, he brings uh, he brings other things to the table. He's a phenomenal uh, playoffs uh, player. Look at uh, look at his uh, uh, playoffs performance every year when the team made the playoffs. So uh, he's going to be huge, huge, huge in the playoffs. And um, and so with that said, um, you know, let him just come in. Let him, you know, let him help the team uh, winning, start winning more games, and we'll take it from there. Does he enjoy the, the right side as much as the left side or more? Has he ever expressed that desire well, from you? Well, he, on the right side, he's, he hasn't played in the last six years. And on the, the, the final games um, uh, in Calgary, they had a need, so he stepped in and played on the right side. Um, so uh, it's going to be up to the coaching staff and Nikita to determine where he fits uh, the team the best to help him win. Like I said, in the end, it's all about the winning. I mean, you know, if you want him to go play forward and, and play power play, he'll go do that. So we'll leave it up to the coaching staff uh, to to work with Nikita and, uh, you know, they'll figure out. Uh, look forward to speaking to him uh, at some point, Dan, because uh, he put a pride jersey on last year. And to my knowledge, he's been the only Russian NHL player to speak out against the war on Ukraine or as speak out as strongly as he did, what kind of repercussions have that brought? Why was it important to him to express well, those political views? You know, good question. Uh, I defer to Nikita. Uh, he is a big guy. He can uh, he can answer uh, all those questions when you guys invite him to your show. The uh, we look forward to that, Dan. The other key members of your uh, squad here, Andre Kuzmenko, um, he's had himself a week as well. Uh, you know, he was sat down by Rick Tockett for a couple of games uh, for uh, a variety of circumstances. I don't know if they lose that first game. If he uh, sits out the second, probably not. But he's shown better in the last couple of games and scores a beauty last night. Um, do you get the feeling he's exhaled now and has put this that chapter behind? He's ready to, to, to shoot a little bit more and, and be a part of the uh, the solution here. Guys, the NHL season is 82 games plus the playoffs, right? It's not, uh, this isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. It's going to take some time. Uh, you, you know, every single person, they have their ups and downs. And, uh, you, you know, Vancouver Canucks, the management, the coaching staff, they've been very good to Andre. They've been good to me. You know, we keep open lights of communication. We know what's needed. Andre knows what, you know, what's happening there is no uh, break in 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 the relationship by any means, and uh, um, and then Andre is going to do just fine. We still have lots of hockey left to play, and uh, you know uh, I and Andre we sure hope that Vancouver wins the last uh, game of the season, uh, in hopefully in June, and um, that's about it. It's about uh, you know teams doing well. You know everybody's putting up a lot of points, and sometimes it's not just about scoring goals. Even for for flashy forwards that are 39 goals a season, so uh, don't worry about Andre. He'll be totally fine, and um, and that's all I have to say about that. When last time we talked to you about Andre, Dan was in uh, August, and you said, "Look, I told him there's a difference between KHL shape and NHL shape, and it's time to get into NHL shape." How do you think he did on that score? And then looking back on the Bally experiment. 
what would you say about it now? Uh, uh, I, Bob was not an experiment. Experiment. He had very good trainers with him, and uh, he came in fully prepared. Unfortunately, he got sick in the beginning, which wasn't really disclosed. There were a few other things, but like I said, guys, you know, ask me all of this at the end of the season, and um, uh, if, if if it matters at all to you at that particular point in time. And I sure hope, uh, and I know deep down that it's it, it won't matter uh, after the final game of the season. So. Let's just concentrate on winning some more games. And uh, like I said, we still have, uh, what do we have, 60 more games to go or something along those lines, plus uh, hopefully 20 games in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So um, so let, let's just concentrate on the good stuff. We've all been, uh, it's been quite remarkable how Ilya has been able to drop into this lineup, Dan, coming off a significant surgery and play as well as he did. Take us through that process, because I know he was a little bit delayed in terms of, of getting into games with the Vancouver Cucks, missing preseason and training camp. Uh, tell us uh, what Ilya is saying these days and what you've made of his progress coming back from that big injury and surgery. I'm absolutely not surprised that Ilya was able to recover and come back without a preseason and play as well as he's been playing. Unfortunately for all of you guys in Vancouver, you have not seen the best uh, of the last season of Ilya because he basically gets injured at the beginning of the season and he played on one foot. So uh, what, you, what you're seeing right now is more of a preseason. And uh, we expect bigger, better things of, uh, from him. And Ilya expects it too. And, I mean, he's a great, uh, uh, he's a great two-way uh, hockey player. He's going to do well. He's going to help uh, uh, the team to win. And uh, I know that uh, at times uh, people were questioning, uh, you know, the Vancouver Canucks, what, you, you know, when we shut him down, uh, they were questioning his contract and all kinds of other stuff. And uh, like I said, what you're seeing right now is is why Ilya is one of the best hockey players in the world. His speed is his calling card. He's known as one of the best skaters in the NHL. Is that all the way back, Dan? Or if not, what percentage of the way back is the speed? I mean, he is, uh, he is as fast as probably the fastest skater uh, in the National Hockey League. But uh, like I said, you're, well, right now he's just uh, because he hasn't, played uh, in what nine months or so uh, and just finally getting um, uh, getting his preseason out if you will uh, we I expect uh, uh, bigger things from him and and he expects out of himself too so um, he is he may or may not score every single night uh, but he's con- what he brings to the table the contribution level is is you cannot measure that with you know with with uh, with his points and he mm-hmm. still managed the points even without that top end speed which says a lot about the kind of player that he uh that he is um danila klobovich has not had the season that he would like to have uh, again health playing a big part in that he's still so young and we knew this is a project player for the vancouver canucks um is this a valley that he's got to climb out of or how would you describe where where danila is at right now with that so we have two players in uh, in HL, Max Sesson, of course, and mm-hmm. uh, and Danilo. Just let, let's not forget, Danilo is only 20, 21 years old. Uh, he's unfortunately for him, he was injured with two different things that he's been battling since the training camp. So, uh, so you guys have not seen him a hundred percent healthy this season. Um, and uh, uh, but uh, he's doing much better now. He's healthy. Uh, also, uh, he's been communicating with the Sedin brothers. Uh, with the management, with the coaching staff, he knows what's expected from him, and he's working towards it. Um, and so this isn't once again, this isn't a sprint. I know that you want them today, and you want a hat trick every single uh, uh, game. Uh, it's a marathon. It takes a very long time, 
you know, some guys make the NHL at 20, some guys make the NHL at 30. Um, and there is no time, uh, you know, there's no timeline. One thing I can, I, I, I can tell you is that he's very happy to be in Vancouver. Um, he's, uh, uh, he's not asking for a trade. He knows exactly what's expected and what he, what he needs to work on. And he's going to continue uh, doing those things uh, over this year. And hopefully, we'll, um, you know, he'll, he'll get his opportunity sometime later down the season. Always a pleasure, Dan. Thank you for the time here. Be well. Thanks for having me on. Oh, to the people. To the people. We, let's, yes. let's go to those people, shall we? Have to go to the people. I miss the people there. Been a long, frustrating time for people here. To the people we go. And to the people we go, brought to you by your friends at Finning. Register, bid, win. The Finning online timed event is here right now. Time's running out. And your chance to bid during the online timed event. Quick and easy to bid on a diverse inventory of quality used cat equipment. But it's ending on Tuesday, December the 5th. Not only is the buying process quick and easy, but you get peace of mind buying from a trusted seller with an extensive support network. Hundreds of machines to choose from. Sign in or register today to start browsing. For more info, go to used.finning.com slash bid. Thursday's poll question, how should the Canucks use their newfound cap space? Ethan Bear or something bigger. Something bigger got 64% of the vote. Of course, some voted after the acquisition in Nikita Zadorov. Jack says Ethan Bear with the right shot could be a top four defenseman with the tutelage of Foot and Gonchar, in my opinion. That's high praise. Scott says take baby steps, sign Bear, and then keep looking for a long term upgrade for the top four. Well, I think they feel like they may have already done that. Nagrin says should be both. Bear in a trade for a right shot defenseman. There's a lot of people in the comments about both, and it sounds the Canucks are still interested in Bear. Chris, come on. When you put it this way, who can resist wanting to see what's in the box? <laughs> well done, Chris. <laughs> it's not in a box. You can't fit. It's a very large box. So let's make a deal, right? We can give you this, or you can see behind door number two. Evan says, depends on what Bear costs, which absolutely. If it's one year under $2 million, sign him and look at something bigger as well. Either way, they should look at something bigger. Mm. Everybody wants to load up. And Brian says, maybe it's the door off for a third and a fifth. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> was that said after or was that said before? Oh, that was said all Oh, that. okay. Uh, Nick on YouTube, his reaction. He's not the perfect defenseman that you'd add if you had a total blank slate, but for the assets given up and their need for NHL-caliber defenders, I think this is a great move. Yeah, here, here, Nick. Kempner says, let's be real. Alvin and Rutherford are the trade masters. I know Canucks fans wanted Tanoff, but I bet you would have been unhappy with the price tag. Zadorov is a beast. He knows how to hit. I'm excited to have him on the Canucks. His first game will be Saturday versus the Flames. Uh, Myers and Zadorov, two large men. Expect penalties, goals, hits galore. Zadorov knows when to cheat in the offensive zone, makes hits, but very rarely gets challenged to fight. I wonder why. He's a giant of well, a person. We, we talked about it too. I mean, you know. If it ends up being mm-hmm. those two men on the same pairing, in which and, and there's Oof. a couple of ways you can sketch it out where they might be forced to, um, yeah, mm-hmm. my goodness, chaos, absolute chaos. Dustin says so. It's now Horvat a second round pick and a third round pick in exchange for Philip Ronick, Atu Ratu, and Nikita Zadorov. That's pretty damn good, and a fourth round pick as well in the Ronick deal. Uh, where else are we going here? Trevor, I've seen plenty of Flames fans thinking they got fleeced. Tough defenseman that won't be pleasant to play against. 
in a playoff series. Yeah, I, I think it was underwhelming in Calgary, the return, I can tell, because our friend Trevor Martins was trying to rationalize it on Twitter. Oh, they were. The reaction online from Calgary Flames fans was uh, absolute vitriol. They, they think they got fleeced. Calling on Instagram, tidy piece of business. Impressive how nimble Alvin has been. T- Despite limited cap space, leveraging the Chicago situation for cap relief and then leveraging Zadorov's ask out, the Milstein connection, the newfound pick and cap space to address the defense is impressive. And another chapter in the Horvat trade tree, which is looking pretty good. A response to uh, PJ's interview yesterday, Patrick Johnson. This is interesting from Smarty. The management respects Tockett, the coaching staff respects Tockett, the players respect Tockett, the media respects Tockett. Tockett has clearly turned Vancouver into an enjoyable place to play. Coach and be coach, managed and talked about by the media. Who would want to leave if the team has success? No, I, no, I, I was smarty. I was told this is a terrible place to play. Nobody wants to play here anymore. Wasn't that just the the narrative we were told by an agent or two? Like, honestly, um, funny how things can change. It has always been one of the most desirable cities in North America and the world over to live. That does not change because the hockey team sucks. Competency from the management group trickles on down. Yeah. And that's why you see the atmosphere that you see right now. Uh, will be on Bassar. The team has invested so much in him over the years. It would be crazy not to include him in the core now, given the season that he's having. H. Clinker says, I'd be tempted to sell high on Besser. His history is play production that is up and down. Can the Canucks actually afford him in a year and a half as he get gets into his late 20s? And, and that's a very fair shout. We're having that debate here. On the JPAT interview on Monday, Wade says, are the Suter and Susie injuries proving to be affecting the team more than anticipated? Maybe. You could see the wheels wobbling at least six or seven games ago. Great teams tend to identify and fix the problem in one or two games. They're not a great team yet. That's fine. From the Great Clips inbox, we saw a few different responses talking about your reluctance to get into a Santa costume. Andrew saying, right. Sakaris not wanting to dress up as Santa is sounding like he's more fitting to dress up as the Grinch. Mm. Not at Toy Mountain at Applewood yesterday. It was very Santa-like. Yeah, Wednesday. President, Wednesday. President Kia Langley oh, dropped off some uh, toys there for Toy Mountain. Shout out to them. Yeah. So I was thinking about the Santa thing. Mm. I'll dress up as Santa on two conditions. Oh, here we go. One condition. Mm. So they negotiated yeah, two, down. Two, two conditions. You dress up as the Grinch in full green face paint. And Grady, you dress up as one of the Who's from Whoville. Maybe that little girl who finds... The Grinch Cindy coming Lou down the who? chimney. We should get Craig Button. He can be the mayor. You're you're doling out face makeup mm-hmm. assignments. That's a different Are level of commitment. For this That's a different here? level yeah, of yeah, commitment. Yeah, I, I might finance it. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yep. Tell me I'm wrong. For the first time in nearly 10 years, the Canucks fans are excited that the team has cap space to make a move with, not dreading the next anchor contract. Well, that's the other thing they, they've done, Hassan and Burnaby, is. You know, they've managed to make all of these deals without any of them being deals that you are likely to regret in a couple of years' time. J.T. Miller's going to be the the one to watch, obviously. But, I mean, the the more recent peripheral deals, 
none of them are anchor deals. Mm-hmm. The old Jay Beagle four-year job is is not here right now. It's from Brian. Tell me I'm wrong. Nathan Rourke would give at least 14 teams a better chance to win than their current starters. You would think. He said, hashtag unwatchable Monday night game. Sorry, Matt. You know, it was dreadful. And then lastly, basketball Phil. Tell me I'm wrong. If LeBron and the Lakers win the in-season tournament, his fans will try to use it in the argument that it's a championship and say it's more proof than he is better than Jordan. You may be right, Phil, but they will be wrong. But, I mean, I, like seven guys on Twitter, is that is that like the fans? Like, I would say no, no, no. 98% of people would LeBron not have LeBron fans are looking to cling to whatever last vestiges they can in his career to make the better-than-MJ case. The other thing that I was thinking, and granted, Michael was a competitor, so if there was a slight realer perceived about the in-season tournament, the NBA Cup, that may well get his juices firing. But given what Jordan has said about the NBA regular season in the past, I could only imagine the disdain on his. So we're going to play this in-season tournament and award the winner a cup. Oh, really, are we? LeBron is bought in. LeBron is totally bought in. Yeah. You know, LeBron is a pretty big league guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure there would be any. Fooling yeah. MJ. See the China file on that. He's he he carries the water. Well, I mean yeah. that that uh, the uh, the one season where he came back with what twenty games left the regular season, and he has later since said, "Well, I came back with twenty games left regular season because basically couldn't stand the first sixty. Yes. <laughs> Care some price from All Center presentation. Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Is it? Is it? Yes, it will be. I promise you. Good. Straight to Arizona omissions from yesterday's program, and uh, we have several. So. I was noodling around ticket sites for this big match Tuesday, Christine Sinclair's farewell game, and we talked about it yesterday at BC Place. Mm-hmm. Did you see they're uh, taking a book from the uh, IOC and Hockey Canada in terms of renaming the facility yes, temporarily? Yeah, yeah. They're calling it Christine Sinclair Place. Yeah. Saw that on a ticket site yesterday. I was like, hmm, that's odd. Fun little drop, but yeah. no, now it's a it's a thing. And I'm told, see, they should have just kept it BC Place and called it like B Christine Place. You know, always deep cuts and B sides with you. Huh? You don't have to change it. And I'm told by an authority who wants to remain anonymous, but who grew up with the Rogan family here in Vancouver, who said. Uh, Seth's not really a Canucks fan. In fact, told me Seth's not really a sports fan, period. 
So does he get his pass in the LA Kings jersey? Just don't have Reynolds in a Kings jersey. I'm sure Reynolds is down there going to games, but Van City Reynolds can never wear that jersey. They live in New York, I think. Do they live in New York? I think so. Oh, they all have homes in California, though. Come on. I'm sure they do, but I think they live in New York. Kids go to school in New York, sort of thing. Pretty sure. Easy knows right there. Our uh, young in the inbox. Frosty was not stop motion. Frosty was regular animation. Um, I, you're right. The, the actual Frosty movie. I'm thinking of maybe there's a Frosty cameo. Maybe th- there is a snowman that is the narrator in one of those stop motion. Maybe in Ru- Rudolph is the narrator a, a snowman? I think that might be the case. Hmm. Don't know. That must be what I was thinking of. Don't care. You might just be making more ease and O's here. Uh, in in fact, <laughs> I'm, lo- I'm looking you know up factory. I'm looking up Ryan Reynolds' residences as we speak here. He's right about New York City. They also have a home in Wrexham. Oh, I'm sure they do now. Yeah. Stands to reason. By the way, he sent. Did you see? To bring us full circle, he sent Christine Sinclair uh, a congratulatory video, mm-hmm. and like they had they had Christine on camera while she watched it for the first time. It was very touching. Mm-hmm. And I was right. There is a narrator. Frosty. Is that it? Are yeah. we done here? Yeah. No, Rob Sacre played four years with the Lakers, not two. Right. And Argyle lost last night. God, mm, I saw that. Hammered. I saw that. They uh, they might fold the program. Phil is just going to troll you. Yes. Do you realize? Time for our Betway bets of the day. I've decided I'm going to go full on it. Uh, Seahawks hate watching over the weekend. They don't play, but Russell does. Take the Broncos. I don't even care anymore. Take the Broncos to beat the Texans at 240. Seahawks, you deserve it. You deserve it. It's like a uh, Hollywood Hogan turn. You have joined the yes. dark side. Yeah, I don't even care anymore. Mm-hmm. Pains me to do this, but they're coming off a win and the long week. Green Bay Packers at home versus Kansas City. And I'm getting six points. Packers on your Betway bet of the, <laughs> the day. The two of us are hate, hate betting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Bears fans betting on the Packers. Yeah. Seahawks fans betting on Russell. Yeah. There you go. Please play responsibly. <laughs> Must be 19 With plus clear thought. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, uh, what did Donnie always say? You know, bet against your team. That way you don't lose. Yeah. You're celebrating something. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder to subscribe to us, Rinkwide and Canucks Conversation, wherever you get your podcast. Follow on social. That's Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And, of course, support those community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.